since the dawn of creation, when God said, let there be light. Guys, we have had light. I mean, every single day, right? And yet, these many centuries, however long it has been since God said, let there be light, we're still learning new stuff about light. Did you know that? Yeah, we are. Uh, I was reading an article in National Geographic, and just very recently, we learned a new property of light that we never, not only didn't know, but didn't expect about light. Okay, so we've known about wavelengths in light and frequency of light. And even we've known that light actually twists like a corkscrew, or it can. It's called uh, orbital angular momentum. Learn something new, didn't you? New every day. But there's something else we learned just about that recently. They, they said, we wonder what would happen if we shot that, the, that orbital angular momentum light through some certain gases and so forth. And guess what they discovered about this light? Light actually can change in speed, can actually vary in its speed that it, 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 it moves. You never saw that coming, did you? I mean, we, we talk about the speed of light when we actually found out it actually has what's called self-torque. That is, in certain situations, it actually can kind of propel itself or slow itself down. Self-torque. It's a new property of light we've discovered very, very recently. Here's something else I discovered about light. I mean, this is crazy, guys. You know the Milky Way galaxy, of which the Earth and all of us are a part of, brilliant light, amazing things that we see, right? But did you know that there is a Milky, not only a Milky Way galaxy, there is a Milky Sea, a Milky Sea, like a light source in the ocean? Yeah, guys, so here's this, I was reading about it. It says, stories of glowing seas, like the oceans that are lighting up, have been a part of maritime folklore since the 1700s. But they've never really been scientifically uh, confirmed and some very skeptical about it. But a few years ago, at the British merchant vessel, the SS Lima sailed the waters of the northwestern Indian Ocean. The seas beneath them began to glow with light. On a clear, moonless night, 150 miles southeast of the Somalian coast, a whitish glow Milky white light glow was observed on the horizon. And after 15 minutes of steaming, the ship was completely surrounded by a sea of milky white color with a fairly uniform luminescence. It appeared as though the ship was sailing over a field of snow or gliding over the clouds. That's crazy. So some group of scientists heard about this and they had an ingenious idea using a meteorological satellite, the team discovered the luminescent area. Roughly, this area is about the size of the state of Connecticut. The phenomena was identified in the very exact area where the captain had reported his ship that night. And marine biologists discovered that the glowing sea was caused by massive swarms of bioluminescent bacteria feeding on large populations of algae. Imagine this for a moment. Bacteria are microscopic, but when they congregate together, these tiny creatures that cannot even be seen by the naked eye by themselves 
actually radiate their light so that they can be seen 600 miles in the sky from an orbital satellite. Something else you didn't know about light. See, I want us to discover that we can learn something new about light every day. And we're in this series called Living as Light. And today I hope you'll learn something new about light and it'll be powerful in your life. It will really transform you. Okay, so we're, we're all the way to Acts chapter 19 and now the Apostle Paul is going to actually launch the third missionary journey. Okay, so let's go to Acts chapter 19. By the way, do you have your, your Acts journal or your Bible or you follow along here? Okay, here we go. Um, Acts chapter 19, verse one. While Apollos was in Corinth, learned about him last week, Paul traveled through the interior. So he's been over way, way, way east. And he travels west through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. Now, Ephesus had always been on his radar. But earlier in the book of Acts, we said we learned the Holy Spirit would not allow him to enter there. But now he, he gets the, uh, the, the permission, the, the prayer, the, the sense from God's Holy Spirit that he's supposed to go there. And Ephesus was an amazing place, guys. Check it out. Population, 250,000 to 500,000, which was a very, very large city in the ancient world. The religious background of almost everyone in Ephesus was to worship the pagan gods and goddesses. Officially, it had the city had a covenant with the goddess uh, Artemis or Diana, and they also had up to fifty other gods and goddesses that were worshipped in various temples and places. There's tremendous archaeology that has been done in Ephesus. In fact, about 125 years of archaeology has already uncovered all these buildings, all these incredible things, and in stone form, over 3,500 inscriptions, many of them confirming the very thing that we read in the Bible about Ephesus and the goddess Artemis, which we'll get to a little bit later in this series. Well, he's in Ephesus, this giant pagan city where spiritualism, occult, all sorts of stuff is going wild. And he found some disciples there and they call them disciples, but we're going to learn that they aren't exactly the disciples that we think of. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? There's something about these disciples that's a little off. There's something about them that's incomplete or they don't really match up to what Paul's used to. So he says, the gospel's already gotten here. I didn't even know. But they said, no, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit now, they had heard of the Holy Spirit of some sense before because they had, we'll learn, have an Old Testament background. The Holy Spirit's mentioned in the Old Testament. But what they didn't know that the Holy Spirit had been given to believers, that the Holy Spirit comes to indwell believers. They hadn't heard about Pentecost. So somehow they say, Paul asked them, he says, Into what then were you baptized? Uh, if, you were, if, you were baptized if you weren't baptized, uh, into the Holy Spirit, then what were you baptized into? They say, into John's baptism. And so suddenly Paul discovers here that these guys are like spiritual Rip Van Winkles. You know Rip Van Winkle's story of him in American folklore? Uh, he falls asleep and he sleeps for like 20 years. He wakes up and all this stuff has happened. These guys actually, it's been 20 years since John the Baptist, and they haven't yet heard about Jesus. 
They've only heard about John the Baptist and preaching that he's given, preparing the way for Jesus. So Paul has to catch him up. I mean, that's how isolated the ancient world could become. He said, Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, calling you, preparing you for the way of Jesus, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. And then he explains about Jesus. They knew something about him, maybe, but not the full story. He, heard, they, he tells them the whole gospel story, his life, his miracles, his teaching, his death his atoning death for our sins, his resurrection from the grave, his ascension into heaven, his coming again, told them that. And when they heard this, it says they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. That means into the character, the reputation, the story of Jesus and who he is and was. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, it says the Holy Spirit came upon them. So this was an unusual circumstance. You got believers that are kind of halfway disciples. They kind of sort of know the message but they haven't truly believed in Jesus. And at this moment, Paul lays his hands on them to pray for them as they're just becoming believers. And it says the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. So speak in tongues, this is rarely actually mentioned in the book of Acts. This is just the fourth and last time it will be mentioned in the book of Acts. Came at Pentecost, we get to speak in tongues as evidence that the Holy Spirit has come and given them salvation. And then with the Samaritans, this is a new group, a new breakthrough. And then with the Gentiles, with Cornelius, that's a brand new break for the gospel. And finally, this evidence of powerful, miraculous ability to communicate in languages not known to them uh, is given to these kind of unusual kind of half-disciples as a confirmation that they really are believers in Jesus now. And they began to prophesy. The word prophesy means to, uh, the, literally, it's a combination of two words, pro or for, or forth, and shine. To shine forth, to light the way, right? And so they're giving praise to God. Uh, Paul tells the Corinthians that prophecy is for speaking to others, for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. So that's what they're doing. And they're fired up and they're talking to people and they're, they're sharing this and they're praising God. And now there are about 12 men in all. So you got 12 guys that kind of somehow missed out, missed the memo on Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and everything. So they get caught up to that. They learned something new that day. And they begin to shine forth in powerful ways. Here's the first principle I'm gonna give to you. You write it down. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you continually. You know, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, um, you now have the Holy Spirit living and dwelling within you. It's a promise of the Word of God. In fact, in Romans, he says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. But many, many believers in Christ don't really understand fully the person of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus left and sent his Holy Spirit to abide and to live within us. And he explained this, Jesus did, uh, early on in his ministry. We read about it in John chapter 7. And here's the situation. Uh, Jesus, I want to give you a little background on the Holy Spirit so you hopefully will learn even more today. Um, so they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles, which was one of the three required feasts of all Jewish people in the ancient times. And it was kind of the Hebrew camping and recreational vehicle festival. So they have this gigantic celebration and remembrance of God being with them in the wilderness. And they have all these tents and, 
and recreational vehicles, if you will, and they're celebrating God's presence and goodness to them. And it's a huge, joyous festival. And each morning at the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus is there celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, which is where everyone flocked, they were gathered together, and every Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, after the priest was sure everything was in order, the people would gather together, and he would hold forth a golden pitcher, kind of like this, okay? And he would say, Revelation 12, 3, he would dip it into the pools outside of the a temple area, and he would quote Isaiah 12, 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And then the crowd would march back from the water place to the temple where the priest would then pour out the water on the altar. So Jesus takes this particular moment, and in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last and most important day of the festival, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, which you just heard, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And those in, who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. This is before the cross, this is before the resurrection, this is before the ascension, before Pentecost. One author writes, the drama definitely escalated at the moment when Jesus said this, just the right moment for Jesus Christ to speak out. It was the final day of the feast, the seventh day, the day the priest would again come to the temple, followed by a great throng chanting their psalms. And they would come in through the water gate, and the trumpets would sound again. And, but this time, the priest would circle the altar seven times in succession, just like the walls of Jericho. And when he came around the sixth time, he would be joined by another priest carrying the wine, and they would ascend up the ramp to the altar. There would be a pause as the priest raised his pitcher, and the crowd would begin to shout to the priest, hold it higher, higher, and he did, and he did, and he would try to do so. It was considered to be the height of joy in an Israelite's life if he could be there and see the water being poured on the altar on the last and greatest day of the feast. It was in that hush and in that moment that Jesus said on the last and most important day of the festival, stood up and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I'm everything you've been thirsting for. I'm everything that everyone is truly thirsting for. I am the reality that you've been seeing in a ritual for all these centuries. I'm what everybody is so excited about. I am. Don't settle for the ritual, the pouring on the altar. Embrace the reality, it's here for you. Now, guys, many motifs and, and object uh, pictures are used to describe Jesus' salvation that he gives to us. Forgiveness, eternal life, being set free, adoption as children. Here, it's the quenching of spiritual thirst with living water. Many had dehydrated souls, maybe you today, even if their bodies are good. And this world that we live in is a desert for our souls. 
Jeremiah says, for my people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and have dug cisterns for themselves. Cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Guys, the truth is about human beings is we try everything else to satisfy the thirst of our souls. We try to satisfy our thirst through relationships, through pleasures, through entertainment, music, art, popularity, success, achievements, accomplishments, politics, morality, sexuality, spirituality, human religion, exercise, fitness, beauty, academia, intellectual endeavors, buying and selling stuff, owning stuff. Sometimes we send we even attempt to satisfy our thirst through actual drinks and none of it works. All of those other things though they might be, you know, temporarily satisfying or even somewhat satisfying, they actually don't satisfy the deepest thirst of our souls. They're cracked cisterns. That means you you put water into them but eventually it runs dry. It's not working. Because the world and the society and the culture we live in is a desert for our souls. We're looking for an oasis that never runs dry. A fountain of living water. There is life in this water. Refreshing joy and peace and satisfaction. And that's what Jesus is offering to his people. In fact, he said, well, C.S. Lewis once said, the author once said, he says, it would seem we're looking for stuff. We're looking for something we'll satisfy. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. There's something more lasting and more satisfying. That's a relationship with the living God who can satisfy the longings of our souls. And it just makes sense, guys, because relationships are what ultimately matter to us. And the relationship with the one who actually made and created us is the ultimate satisfier. It's actually quite simple. You and I were made to know God. We were made to know God. We learned that earlier in the book of Acts repeatedly. And everybody thinks when you say that, it's fanatical. It actually is the most reasonable thing on earth to say. You were made to know God. Everyone on earth was made to know God. So what happens to people who come to Jesus, who believe in Jesus, who drink Jesus? Verse 38, the one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him or her. In other words, believers in Jesus are given God's Holy Spirit so that they can be not just reservoirs to hold water, but actually channels rivers of living water to bless others. Believers are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force like Star Wars, the force be with you. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person and we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship that it is to be drawn upon to sustain us, to replenish us when we're dry. The Holy Spirit refreshes us when we're weary. The Holy Spirit cleanses us when we're poisoned. The Holy Spirit satisfies us when we're thirsty people. Oh, I'm thirsty. I'm taking a drink. The whole world is a desert, but there are a few 
water places in our lives. And when you receive Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and you now live in a place like that where there's streams of living water. You are, in fact, from within you, streams of living water can flow. And to what degree today are you experiencing that kind of love, that kind of joy, that kind of peace, that kind of satisfaction in your soul? And we're also called to not just be containers of the Holy Spirit, but rivers, not reservoirs. Holy Spirit does not only bring satisfaction to us. He actually makes us channels of blessing to other people. At Valley Church, why do we make such a big deal out of loving your neighbor, out of loving your family and your friends and people in the body of Christ, the church, one another? and our neighborhood, and our works, and, our acti- and in all of our activities, and loving our community. Why do we make such a big deal out of love you, Des Moines? Because this is what God redeemed us to be. Rivers of living water to flow from within us to bless other people. You and I are to be sending out streams of living water to everyone around us. He said this, verse 39 in John's Gospel, chapter 7, he said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The Holy Spirit, let me say this to you very clearly, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift you can ever receive. The greatest gift I I can give someone is is myself, is, is a presence, being there. Being a friend, being a sacrificial person, it's the gift of myself, just giving myself. What could be better than Jesus giving himself to us? Standing, what could be better than Jesus' presence? Like, let's say Jesus was actually on earth walking with us, standing right next to us every single day of our life. He said, there's nothing could be better than this. He actually said, you're wrong. What could top that? He says later in John's gospel, chapter 16, it, he says to his disciples, is to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, the Holy Spirit. So now, here's the promise. You don't just have Jesus standing next to you. You have the spirit of Jesus Christ living within you. It's the greatest gift you will ever receive because... God gives actually himself. God himself comes to live and dwell within you. So the solution for my life and the solution for your life is not the absence of troubles, but the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything can be a desert around us, but you and I could be experiencing streams of living water by the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit can show up in our, in our circumstances because he lives within us and transform anything. So you and I all need a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Now some, some of us hear this and we get kind of scared of this, this kind of spooky, creepy kind of stuff, and we think, you know, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, it's weird, it's some kind of, you know, ghosty thing. You know, it, guys, it's not. It's nothing like that. The Holy Spirit is God himself the third person of the Trinity, coming to fill us. The Father and the Son send the Holy Spirit into our hearts to live within us. It's not spooky. It's miraculous, but it's incredible. 
And as much as my body needs this water or I die, my soul, your soul needs the Holy Spirit. And when you drink in Jesus, you will become a person who increasingly experiences the life of God within you. And you'll be a person who can increasingly be a life giver to other people. You will be a life giver, not a life taker. You, you, you will not drain people, you will fill people. Jesus comes to give life and to make people life givers, not life takers and life drainers. So when you understand this, and when you ask the Holy Spirit of God to continually fill you every single day, we all have the presence of the Holy Spirit if we come to know Jesus, but there's a replenishing, there's a refilling, there's a refueling of the Holy Spirit that I need. Because you know what? I have a friend of mine, Gary Rosberg, you all know him. He says, it takes me about 15 minutes for my heart to get really hard. So we need the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes to do that, to change every relationship you have. So now you can love people that you can't love otherwise. You can bless people that you never wanted to bless before. You can give sacrificially and generously beyond what you could even imagine. You can bring joy to people in new ways. You can be generous. You can serve. You can refresh. You can forgive. You can give hope. You can bring life and light to people. You can be a light bringer. And, there's, and when people see you coming... When, they, when you really, when I'm really filled up, there's a sense in which people can begin to experience just a little taste of what God is like. It's like here comes some little spring of living water. Imperfect, far short, but a taste of the living water. That's what we're here for. Some people can tell you about the properties of water. Some people can give you a map to where you can locate water. But a few people can simply give you water. And when I'm thirsty and you're thirsty, we don't need an explanation of H2O. When we're thirsty, we don't need a map to the nearest drinking fountain. When we're thirsty, we need a drink of water. And the people the world needs are people who are able to give the water of life to them. So, my question, can I get you something to drink, right? We say it all the time, people come in our homes, come in our office, can I get you something to drink? It may be the most important question of all. How do you get this water, and how do you give this water? It's actually not spooky or creepy or weird. It's actually very straightforward. Jesus taught us in Luke's gospel written by the same author as Acts. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Keep on asking. The, the verb there is a continual. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Never stop doing that your whole life. Make this a daily part of your life. Asking, seeking, knocking. Not a one and done. Not a, I tried that once. Not a one and run fear-based, but with purpose and persistence, we keep on chasing after God. And he's right there. And more than that, it's the daily passion of our lives. I keep on asking, seeking, knocking. And you will receive, you will find, and the door will be opened. Because God is a generous, gift-giving Father. 
In fact, Jesus went on to explain this, asked Signoc, he said, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? No, no good father. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. You gotta be a really lousy dad to say, here's some scrambled eggs and give your kids scorpions instead. <laughs> he says, so if you then, who are evil, we're fallen, we're broken, you know how to give good gifts to your kids? How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In, in Matthew's gospel, it actually reads how, because Jesus taught this many times, it says how much more will the father give good gifts to those who seek him? Here he says, give the Holy Spirit. Give this continual supply of himself. Why does he mention this? Because this is the greatest gift. This is the gift of himself. He give you a lot of other things, but when he give you himself, that's the best. That's just the best, guys. The most important ask of your entire life and every day is, God, please continually fill me up with you. Ask, seek, knock, and the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. So that was the most important thing I, 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 we can learn from this passage. The ministry, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And just begin that on a daily basis. Simple practice you could begin this week. Every time you take a drink of water or a drink of anything, ask God to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit. Fill me up, oh God. Come up front in your life before God and say, I want to seek you. Ask, seek, knock, and begin the journey of asking God to fill you afresh with living water so that you can bless others with streams of living water from the overflow of your own heart. So, these guys in Ephesus experienced God living within them. Out with something new every day. Keep going. We, we close uh, out our passage, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue, spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing, persuading them about the kingdom of God. What was he talking to them, the people in the synagogues about? The kingdom of God. What the kingdom of God is, it's not a place. It's not a structure. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's the realm of where God is ruling, blessing, bringing life. God ruling with goodness and love and justice and power and peace in every conceivable realm of my life and heart and your life and heart and the whole world. That's what God wants to bring, where God reigns and it's all good, like it was in the beginning. In every area that God is king, he reigns, he rules. The kingdom of God arrived in the person of Jesus. He said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says, the kingdom of God is among you. He said this over and over again, and he showed it, what it kind of looked like, the taste of it, by doing these miracles and incredible things, and they sensed God's presence, God's kingdom. But when the people in the synagogue in Ephesus heard this, what they heard was kingdom of God, political kingdom, power, control, get rid of the Romans, get rid of these foreign, occupy, uh, these foreign foreigners who control us, and we'll take control. And that wasn't the kingdom he came to bring. His kingdom is not of this world. So when Paul, the apostle, was continually sharing this with the Jewish folks in the synagogue, they heard it, but eventually it's not what they wanted. But when it says, verse 9, when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, Paul withdrew from them. He said, okay, he's been there three months. He said, I, 
I've had my say. Many believed, but some said, we've heard enough. We don't want to hear about your kingdom, that kind of kingdom. And so Paul said, all right, here's the second principle. Keep your heart tender to the kingdom of God every single day. Be careful. Am I open every single day to the kingdom of God? With something new that God wants to do, wants to reign and rule, bring something into my life. Because the scripture warns us that we can cross a line when our heart becomes bitter and hardened to God and just God just withdraws his witness. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Keep your heart soft. Are you really open when God is calling you to enter into his kingdom reign, to maybe push you, stretch you, excuse me, even challenge you. Guard your heart against cynicism, against becoming skeptical, irritable, callous, or cold, or resistant to how he's nudging you. Cultivate a tender heart toward the kingdom of God and openness to change, to listen, and to grow in grace. And we land this with, he withdrew from the synagogue, taking the disciples, conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, so he finds another place, another, uh, uh, on some, some manuscripts include a statement that he was there essentially from 11 a.m. To, to 4 p.m. every day. So for, it says, so this went on for two years. So Paul's, it's like over 3,000 hours of discussion. Can you imagine having the opportunity to hear the Apostle Paul for 3,000 hours? Yeah, you, you talk about your podcast. You talk about your incredible opportunity. So that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Everybody got in on it. Everybody had an opportunity. Everybody did. So Paul's there for two years, and he says, and you get the word of God. And you get the word, and you get the word, and you get the word. You were, everybody gets the word about Jesus Christ, the message of his gospel and grace and forgiveness. Here's a third and last thing. If you want to, Learn something new every day. Get plenty of biblical light every single day. We're heading into winter. A few people I know, uh, you know, experience this seasonal affective disorder. Sad. Because they don't get enough sunlight. So the prescription for that is get into the light as much as possible. And that's what my counsel is to you today. Paul was there every day. Opportunities to learn. We have every day, every week, every, every weekend. All sorts of opportunities. And on your own, open up the word of God. And every single day, let the sun shine in. The word of God, bring its light to your soul. Make sure you get plenty of biblical light every single day. And not only for yourself, but for others as well. The Valley Mission is, we're here for God and neighbor. And we're here to mobilize everyone's God-given potential to deeply love Christ and our neighbors. And we're here for God and neighbor uh, to, to help everybody experience and have an opportunity to be touched by the gospel of God's grace. So that everybody in Des Moines, so that all the residents 
hear the word of the Lord. You get a touch and a taste of the kingdom of God. Um, here's a, here's a, a sign I saw one time. It says, choose your rut care, ruts carefully because you'll be in them for the next 40 miles. The good news about a relationship with Jesus Christ is you don't have to be in a rut for 40 miles. You can be made new every single day. In fact, the word of God says in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. Father in heaven, thank you for today. Thank you that we could dive deep into this passage and learn about the power of the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit in our lives. Help us to learn something new every day, not necessarily externally, but in our hearts about you, in our minds about you, and help us to have a daily new awareness every single day of your personal presence to fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for every single person. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you all.